brought to you by rwj barnabas health in recognition of breast cancer awareness month we encourage all women to schedule a mammogram and we've got a devil's goal just for brad assisted by remember that guy the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present i'm one of your hosts james taking the face off at center let's check in real quick for my line mates and that'll be a long drive to deep left center field and that'll make it a four nothing ball game and i'm diaz Folks, I don't know if I'll be putting on this headset again, but I do know that we have a very special guest this week. It is the fan that caught that faded home run ball. Okay, thank God. I thought you were going to say I'm Tom Brenneman. (laughs) No, it's me, the very special guest, Xavier, who is definitely not Tom Brenneman and does not have a quote prepared because he did not realize Diaz was going to also make an opening quote. Hey, did Nick Castellanos making the World Series kill Jerry Lee Lewis today? It may have, and we need to just be on the lookout for a Casty bomb uh, coming up in, in, in Kissinger. Game Kissinger. <laughs> Kissinger. 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 Is this alive? Is what it takes. Wait, yes. Wait. Yes, he still is. Wait, how old is he? A, a, a decrepit amount of old. Wait, I mean, Evil doesn't up. die. I need a Nick Castellanos, Henry He's Kissinger murdering home run. He's years old? Oh, my God. Evil doesn't die. Wow. It's going to take a grand slam to put him out. So we're <laughs> down to the top of the order to set the table for Castellanos. That's really what we need. Well, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Hey, Diaz, who's making memories for you right now? Well, this is where I wish we had video because I have my lovely Philadelphia Phillies varsity jacket on. Because, folks, I don't know if you heard, the Fightins are in the World Series. It's unbelievable. It's unfathomable. It's incredible. It's everything that I could ever wish for. We made it. We made it. And you know what? Look, I was about to say, hey, anything we do in the World Series is gravy. But that's bullshit. Because I'm telling you right now, the Phillies are going to take this. You might be in a 2-0 hole by the time you're listening to this. We might be up 2-0. It might be tied 1-1. I'm going to officially say it's going to be 1-1. We're going to come back to Philly. And we're going to take care of business at the bank like we have done. I don't know if you saw this, this would be a fun thing. The average ticket price on the secondary market to get into a World Series game in Philadelphia. Would, would either of you like to guess what that amount is? $420. $1,069. Wow. Uh, if you put your two bits together, you're still barely halfway there. <laughs> average World Series ticket is going for over $2,000 to get into Citizens Bank Park. I personally can't afford that. I'm very glad that I did go in round one to the closeout game when we took care of Atlanta, because that was when it was still in my price range. But did you did you enter the lottery to like try and even get the face value ones? I did, and I gotta say the way that they phrased the subject title of that email was just such a dick kick because it was like World Series (laughs) ticket opportunity, and I'm like, oh my god, what? (laughs) And then you open it. And it's like, sorry, you weren't selected. I'm like, God, is, that, is this what it felt like if you like got rejected from a college? Like, you, you, I wish they would have done it like the like the college application thing, right? Where you you get the big, tiny envelope and you right. know that it's not looking good, right? But you get the big packet and you're like, oh, all right, maybe we're on to something here. I thought I had a big packet. Uh, I do not have. My packet is quite small and pathetic. 
But doesn't matter. Fightings play game one tonight. I got a feeling for a Schwarber uh, leadoff bomb to, to really get us started in style. It is Schwarber Fest for the uninitiated. Schwarber Fest is the continuation of Hoagie Fest, which is a Wawa promotion. Typically just happens in the summer, but they were implored by the online Philadelphia fan base. We need Schwarber Fest back because Schwarber went on an incredible tear during Hoagie Fest. I think he hit 15 homers for the month that Hoagie Fest lasted. And wouldn't you know it, Kyle Schwarber, zero home runs before Wawa Institute Schwarber Fest. Kyle Schwarber hitting a cool 400 with three homers in eight games since Schwarber Fest was reintroduced. So there's a lot of vibes and there's a lot of crazy little things that have happened along the way. The Cardinals were 92-0 when entering the ninth inning of a game with a two-runner greater lead. Adam Helsley was the greatest closer in baseball. The Braves were the defending World Series champions. The Padres had that cringy little fucking video that their fans made. <laughs> and despite all that's of that, what's in. that's what's in. No, the Phillies are what's in. Said, said, God, I miss playoff baseball so much. I've said it in some of our chats. Playoff baseball is my favorite drug. It has you on the edge of your seat for three hours plus. You're living and you're dying with every single pitch. It's just the best. Go Fightins. Go Fightins. to sell a kidney to, to get a ticket to game three. Listen, blood, sweat, tears, and whatever other bodily fluids I need to sell to get in, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it doesn't come to that for your sake. Wordplay, my friend. Uh, but I'll tell you what, we're, James, there could be a few things making memories for you. You can now officially say the Baltimore Ravens are what caused Tom Brady to get divorced. That's got to be a great personal victory for you. Uh, it's phenomenal. And and I could talk about that. Uh, there's plenty of things I could talk about. I could talk about There's There's a lot of tournaments coming up in Jeopardy. And we actually had the first ever openly non-binary Jeopardy contestant the other day, Rowan Ward, who's properly gendered by Ken Jennings credit to you, Ken Jennings, sent all of the older demographic of Jeopardy into a whole tizzy. So fuck them. I could talk about that. I could talk about the Japan series, which is where I've been putting my playoff baseball energy into, because I'll admit, I love being there for friends during playoff runs saying like, yeah, I can cheer you guys on this time. Yeah. I can cheer on the Eagles this time. Yeah. I can cheer on the, the sixth. I did think like there'd come a time eventually where, where I got one of these runs and it is starting to be a little difficult to mount that <laughs> energy every time. <laughs> um, so instead I've been watching the Japan series between the Swallows and Buffaloes. It's a rematch of last year. Adam Jones, sadly not on the Buffaloes anymore, but it's great. Our boy Mununata Murakami has had a couple bombs. Diaz found out that you could have a tie game in the Japan series. I, I could it. talk about that. Unfortunately, over a month ago, I decided to tell you guys about a chess scandal. And so now I have to keep updating you about this chess scandal anytime there's an update. Where last we left off a couple weeks ago, major outlets were discussing the publicly released findings from chess.com about Hans Niemann who's initially being accused of some cheating by Magnus Carlsen. Seemingly damning. It was very uncharacteristic of chess.com to do this, but apparently it just was that out of character for Hans Niemann to continue putting off, as they say, any kind of admittance of his guilt. So left things for a while. We figured what the response was going to be. How about a $100 million lawsuit from Hans Niemann and his lawyers? He is accusing chess.com of the dreaded C-word, collusion, 
with Magnus Carlsen and his uh, his chess program, Play Magnus. There was a merger in August between this. So they're saying, for one, there's a monopolistic thing going on in chess between these two chess playing platforms. And they're saying that because of this, there was collusion to accuse Hans Niemann of cheating to lend credence to Carlson's unsubstantiated and defamatory accusations of cheating. So, sued Magnus. They've sued Chess.com CCO. That is not Chief Commercial Officer. That is Chief Chess Officer. Uh, Danny I hate Wrench. that. I hate that exists. How do you have a Chief Chess <laughs> Officer? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? That shouldn't be, shouldn't that be everybody? Hey, all I know is that Danny Wrench is the chief chess operator, uh, officer at chess.com. They also got Hikaru Nakamura. I don't know if you remember him from an earlier butt-buzzing segment because I've done several of these, so you might have forgotten. He's the guy on Twitch who goes by GM Hikaru and first made some of these accusations. So he's being pulled into this. And now I'm, I'm just going to hear some of the writing from the lawsuit. I'll just leave it at that. They allege that these actions destroyed Neiman's remarkable career in its prime and ruined his life. Chess is Neiman's life. Later on, they talked about this all happening because of Magnus Carlsen, notorious for his inability to cope with defeat. Carlsen snapped, enraged that the young Neiman, fully 12 years his junior, dared to respect the, quote, king of chess, unquote, and fearful that the young prodigy would further blemish his multi-million dollar brand by beating him again, Carlson viciously and maliciously retaliated against Neiman. I love court filings because when you file a complaint, you just say the wildest shit that you could possibly say while making yourself look as good as possible because media places that don't know that will report it as, oh, this is in a court filing. This must be real. And it's like, no, you can say whatever the fuck you want in a complaint. If it's nothing, it'll get dismissed under a motion to dismiss. But you could just say shit. Xavier brings the legal perspective, and I'm going to bring the every guy perspective, which is you can't say this shit is unsubstantiated when you have already yourself admitted that you have done this before. If we're entering like the Hank Basket territory here of like yeah. plausible deniability. There, There is, listen, you have already confessed to doing the thing that, that they're saying that you did. Now you're just saying that, oh, no, but I stopped doing it before. It's ridiculous. Like, I'm, all, the only thing I can think of is I'm not sure how well-versed either of you are on Chappelle show. But when Rick James slaps Charlie Murphy and then Charlie Murphy confronts him about it later that night and he says, that was weeks ago. No, there's no, it's still relevant, <laughs> man. It's still relevant. And, I mean, Magnus Carlson is a big Sixers fan. So I will admit my bias. <laughs> Uh, still waiting I could start their season, but please continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, didn't it finally start the other day? Just so like the had, Canucks season finally did. Well, so they had, uh, you know how like a band will have like a one night only. They had a one night only against the Pacers for TJ McConnell coming back. Um, so they played that one game, but I haven't heard anything else since. Um, huh, interesting. The last thing I want to leave off on is just what everyone says about this. Neiman has just tweeted with the lawsuit, the full PDF of the lawsuit on Twitter, the lawsuit speaks for itself. Carlson and Nakabura were both at a tournament this week. Uh, they did not offer any kind. They like say, I can't speak on any ongoing legal matters. Chess.com released a long statement, but there's one particular sentence in there. I'm going to go ahead and pull. Diaz, you've queued it up so well. Hans confessed publicly to cheating online in the wake of the Sankfield Cup, and the resulting fallout is of his own making. 
like couldn't have put it better myself until this ends because I am duty bound to do so. I will continue to provide you with updates on the butt buzzing scandal. But for now, that is everything that I've got for you guys this week. I love that. But Xavier, before we go to you. No, I was going to say, how can I even top that? Well, I'll buy you some time because some Vegas odds just came out. We just alluded to it. Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen are getting divorced. And there are some betting odds for the next boyfriend of Giselle Bunchen. Would anybody like to guess who the favorite is? It's Pete Davidson. I should have even said that. What do you think the odds are that you're getting on Pete Davidson? Plus 250. Plus 1,200. He's the favorite, but he's at plus 1,200. He's Young Gravy second, as per our good friend of the pod, Kev. Young Gravy is not on the list, but I'll give you both a chance to name one other person who has 25 to 1 or better odds. Mac Jones. Not Mac Jones. Zach Wilson. Not Zach Wilson. <laughs> Zach Wilson should have been there. Uh, so, got Davidson is the favorite at twelve to one. Then we go. Jason Momoa is at eighteen to one. Ooh, John that is Mayer, a good one. John Mayer and Neymar are both twenty to one. Wait, why Neymar? We Brazil, also have, that makes sense. That makes sense. It doesn't make as much sense because we know this person's dating history very well. Leo DiCaprio also at twenty to one. Yeah, yeah no, that's not fucking happening. He's about twenty years too old for him. Oh no, wait, but maybe this is what finally Leonardo DiCaprio needs to get over that hump. Good, <laughs> it could. This I mean, is yeah, what brings him into age-appropriate dating. A richer, more appropriate, and also Brazilian supermodel might be finally what it takes to get Leo to to mature a little bit. The only other two that we have listed, we have Chris Evans and Bradley Cooper, both at 25 to 1. I actually like that number on Bradley Cooper a lot. I think that is a 25 to 1 dog. Listen, I'm going to bring it back to Philadelphia. We are at our best when we are underdogs and when people don't expect anything of us. I think Bradley Cooper can provide a nice, reliable shoulder for her to, to weep on. And I actually like the Bradley Cooper at 25 to 1, personally. It's good value. It's good value. Davidson should be the favorite. I would say on a straight percentage basis, Davidson is more likely. But I like that number. Getting good value on Bradley Cooper. Well, Xavier, Diaz came out with Tom Brady's soon to be. Well, I guess no, it's official. With Tom Brady's successor. What you got for us, my friend? You know what? I'm going to enjoy it now because odds are I won't be able to enjoy it soon. No team in the AFC has more wins than the New York Jets. And the only time that I've been able to say that is week zero before anyone's ever played. So it's it's been a while. And, of course, nothing comes without a price. Jets win last week, but they lose Brees Hall to a torn ACL and Elijah Barrett-Tucker to a torn triceps. And both are out for the season. But But we then traded for Diaz's, Diaz's lover, James Robinson. The love of my life. Who will be our our backup behind Michael Carter? Uh, no, shut up. He's the starter. He's the he's the backup. It's fine. No, he's not. But <laughs> yes, the way they talk about Michael Carter, their running backs coach, his wife had a baby and had to leave, so Michael Carter ran the running backs meeting, and they just have said, "Yeah, he's essentially the coach. We love him so much. He's the greatest." Just like a backup quarterback is like a second coach. The backup running back just, is yeah. Also like- <laughs> But he's a backup running back that scored many, many touchdowns already this season, and they like a whole lot, and was their lead rusher last year. James Robinson will be the number two, but the Jets like to run two running back sets, so he'll get plenty of touches. But Fine. 
they'll be onto their fifth different offensive line for week eight, which is not ideal. But for now, I'll enjoy it, and we'll see what happens against the Patriots because the Jets have the exact same record as the Kansas City Chiefs. And if you told me that was going to happen at the start of the season, I would assume Patrick Mahomes tore every bone in his body and ligament in his body and died. Also, real quick, I am officially burying the hatchet with Jalen Brunson. I I forgive him (laughs) for going to Villanova over Temple when he should have gone to Temple if his dad stopped being super horny. But watching him be the point guard of the Knicks for four games, it's wild. We have not had a good point guard in 20-plus years other than one single month of Jeremy Lin. And he's at 34 assists to six turnovers while averaging 20 points. And he just makes the rest of the offense... Julius Randle looks good again because of Jalen Brunson. So, you know, I, I I forgive him for his Villanova slander and his his evil ways of college when he was just an 18-year-old who didn't make the right decisions, but it's okay. I forgive him. Now I want him to be good on the Knicks, and so far he is. I'm happy for the two of you to be able to put this in the past. Both you and he have really grown up here, you know. He realized that he needed to be on a team that you supported, and you realize that it's okay for, for kids to make mistakes sometimes. Yeah, you know what? The, the, the hundred million, I'm sure, helps a whole lot. Oh, it's, it's out of the goodness of his heart, I promise. <laughs> Keep him away from massage parlors. We don't need him repeating the father's mistakes. Well, I mean, we, we hired his dad, too. So Temple, Temp, Temple hired Rick and then said, ah, oh, never mind. And the Knicks said, we don't care. We'll hire Rick. Classic James Dolan. He lets them do what they want. Oh, yeah, he does. Pretend to be Patrick Ewing. (laughs) Unreal. Allegedly. Well, hopefully we can get Charles Oakley in there to restore some order. Oh, God, that'd be hilarious. (laughs) Well, folks, I got to say, I don't think I can contain my excitement any further. I am just overwhelmed with the ability to share this news with you all. It's been something we've been working on for a while in the background. We've been trying to line up you know, some celebrity investors. We've gotten Guy Pierce. We've gotten Guy Fieri. Guy Chamberlain. Brandon Geyer, former MLB player. All of these guys have contributed to a project that is you know, near and dear to our hearts. RTG Plus, our entry into the streaming wars. That's right. We've got our own streaming service. We're starting with movies. All of the movie content that we think is important to continue the the culture of Guy that we were trying to build around this hall. And we are all just so excited to announce to you guys some of the rights that we are very happy to have been able to acquire and add to this services library. We think it's going to be really strong. Guys, what are, your, what are some of your favorites or anyone that you'd like to thank for making this all possible? Well, I, I mean, obviously, we owe a debt of gratitude to the resident lawyer, Xavier. He did make sure that we weren't infringing on any copyrights with this acquisitions process that we've been going through so first of all thank you to xavier and ultimately we have to thank the filmmakers right because these guys had a vision to put some guys onto the big screen and now we as guys are going to be able to transform those guys and put those guys onto the smaller screen be it your television be it your uh, smartphone device we just want to make sure that everybody has access to guys 24-7. And really, this is just the start of that beautiful process. Well, and what a process it's been getting it all pulled together. Xavier, I, again, as our legal representation, thank you so much. I, I'd love it, Xavier, if you wanted to 
maybe like share with us some of your personal favorites. Yeah. So, you know, I, I did accidentally call um, Alan Moore at first and did get V for Vendetta because of Guy Fox. But, you know, we, we can talk about that another time. That, that caused some issues. But then I talked to Disney. You know, I tried to get Rise, you know, the, the Giannis movie that I talked about a couple months ago. They were not having it. But they were willing to negotiate about something else. The movie Miracle. Classic. I love this movie. I love Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks. I love, we all know what happens in the end anyway. So it's more about how do they make this journey entertaining when you know what's coming next. Reality is often stranger than fiction, but it really is such an incredible story about college players who had never played together becoming a team and beating the biggest juggernaut in the world. It's also just got some incredible scenes. Like, I think the one that really made me fall in love with it was after the the friendly match that they had, Herb makes them do suicides on the ice after the game because they weren't working on the during the game. And we get Mike Ruzioni, Winthrop, Massachusetts. Who do you play for? I play for the United States of America. It just makes my non-patriotic self feel so patriotic. And I knew I once Disney was able to negotiate about that, I was like, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. It has that healthy level of, I want to get behind this patriotism, despite being filmed largely in Vancouver, Canada, at the Pacific Coliseum, which was the home of the Vancouver Canucks at the time. So One that's of the three biggest filming uh, places in the world. Well, yeah, so I love how it was filmed in Vancouver. It reminds me of a film that we're going to touch on, at least tangentially later. Major League, based on Cleveland baseball, was filmed in Milwaukee. But, no, two points I wanted to bring up. The first point being, it is quite literally just a collection of guys. Like, I think it was something like a little over half of them went on to actually play in the NHL. None of them really achieved any level of notoriety in the NHL, so... Very much in line with the guy theme that we're going for. This was a team just full of guys. And the second point just goes back to what you were saying earlier, Xavier, with there's certain things that are just stranger than fiction. If you wrote this script in like the peak of the Cold War, like if this game never happened and this team never happened, and in the late 80s, you pitched a script to Hollywood saying, hey, what if we had a bunch of scrappy college kids from the U.S., go in and beat the the Russian super team that's all paid professionals. The the Hollywood execs would have first said, get the fuck out of my office. And then second of (laughs) all, they would have said, all right, Rocky four, Rocky solves the cold war. Let's go. Because (laughs) Rocky ending the cold war is a less absurd script than what this team actually managed to pull off. So it's a great film. It's a great get for RTG plus. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm thrilled that we're able to offer this to our fans. Well, Adias, do you have any like personal favorites that you're happy that we really got uh, any big gets on your end? Sure. So I have a few, and the first one is going to be another one that's based on reality because it is actually reality. The fact that we got Hoop Dreams for RTG Plus, which mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hoop Dreams is not just the best basketball film that was ever made. I posit that it is the single greatest documentary of American life ever produced. Because I I don't want to ruin everything for anybody that hasn't been able to yet stream this on RTG plus, but we follow Arthur Agee 
and William Gates, who are two freshmen in the inner city of Chicago, who, as the film title alludes, they have their hoop dreams. And just the divergent paths that they both set on. So they both go to the very wealthy private Catholic school within Chicago, St. Joseph's Prep. And again, without spoiling anything, the divergent paths that they both go on, the themes of class and race and, you know, how the elites, let's say, how the elites may cater to one person because they think they can get something out of them and then shoo the other person because they don't think things are going to turn out the way that they hoped. And then just to see how perseverance and just everything that goes into that movie, the senior year run that Arthur Ag goes on is straight up. I mean, similar to the thing we just said about Miracle. Without ruining what's going to happen. If you had said that Arthur Agee went on to have the senior year that he had after what happened in his first three years, nobody would believe it. And it's just a testament to the power of perseverance and the strength of family. His his mother, to me, is the star of that film. Mrs. Agee, she deals with so much shit and her personally overcoming while also being able to raise Arthur the way that she does. I just love that so much. William has his older brother that is trying to live vicariously through him and putting more pressure on him. It's, it's, it's a documentary. It's a three and a half hour documentary that you were on the edge of your seat the entire time. And it's just, it's so well made. One of my favorite things to see with that is Roger and who, who are the two? Roger and Ebert. Yeah, Roger and Ebert. Um, oh no, Ebert and Roper. It's Roger yeah. Ebert. Roger Ebert, Ebert is Roper. his name. Ebert and Roper. Roger and Ebert. Thank God we got that right. But I, I like going on YouTube and looking up clips of Roger Ebert reviewing Hoop Dreams because basically at every turn he just says, shame on everybody who didn't vote this for best film. I, I understand that it's not traditional to vote a documentary as best film. But this was by far the best film. This was like the best story. It was the best editing. It was the best narrative. I mean, I, don't, I, I just don't want to speak about it too much more because I'm going to end up ruining the whole documentary. But Hoop Dreams stands on a tier by its own for me when it comes to sports films when it comes to documentaries it is a must watch for anybody whether you're a sports fan or not if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a sports fan first of all i don't know what you're doing here but second of (laughs) all go watch hoop dreams and if you are a sports fan you're going to appreciate it that much more so i'm really thrilled that we got hoop dreams on there it's a necessary watch and it was a necessary get for the service. You know, we've got drama with miracle, but we had to have the documentary category covered with something. Uh, I will say though, it's also important to have some comedy. It's important to have some laughs. Lucky for you guys. I had an inside connection on this next one. Uh, director Howard Deutsch, you might know his daughter, Zoe Deutsch. She's an actor now. His uh, sister-in-law is the mother of a late friend of mine. I, I had the get, through this family to get to the Deutsches. And we were able to get the replacements, the dramatization of the 1987 players strike, particularly the Washington football team that won all of their games with scabs. Now that is something I do want to point out real quickly. I do love this movie. It is a movie that asks us to root for scabs who are undermining the interest of a player's union. So that's tough. But it's it's a Keanu Reeves scab. 
It is. It is Keanu Reeves' scab. And I mean, Dave, you're, you're hitting on the number one thing that I want to talk about, which is something I really love in a lot of guy-related sports movies is kind of the getting the gang together scenes. And this is one of the best ones, I think, that exists in the genre. First off, they go and just get Gene Hackman to be the coach from Hoosiers again, basically. They get Keanu Reeves the year after The Matrix. They get like peak Keanu. This is five years after Speed came out. This is a huge get for it. And he plays a guy named Shane Falco, who's a left-handed Ohio State quarterback who lost the 1996 Sugar Bowl, which, fun fact, do you want to guess who played in the 1996 Sugar Bowl? No one. There wasn't a 1996 Sugar Bowl. (laughs) There was a January 1st, 1995 Sugar Bowl, and there was a December 31st, 1995 Sugar Bowl. There was no Sugar Bowl in the year 1996, and that's just this dumb little thing that hangs around in this movie. The other people that fill this team out, you got House of the Dragons, Risa Fons, he's on a hot streak right now, who plays the Welsh goalkeeper turned place kicker who owns a bar and has a crippling gambling addiction, smoking cigarettes on the field. Exactly, Xavier. Fucking excellent. You get John Favreau before he becomes like this Disney overlord of all of these nerd properties. And he's this like former unhinged SWAT guy who plays middle linebacker. The offensive line is made up of a sumo wrestler and a pair of twin brothers who previously had been bodyguards for old dirty bastard. It's a it's fucking a good team. It's a fucking incredible lineup. And it does one of the most critical things that you gotta do in one of these movies. You gotta get a pair of real life announcers in there. They do get John Madden and Pat Summerall, along with a couple other cameos. It's not too cameo dense. And it's a happy ending because not only do the replacements get their win, but also the strike ends. So we assume the players' union is successful. And the labor union getting a win is really what matters at the end here. I will also point out that this uh, team, the Washington Sentinels, is, it's a dumb name. It's not as dumb as Commanders, but it is dumber than the name of the team that was occupying the stadium in which this was filmed at the time because it was filmed in Baltimore at M&T Bank Stadium, the Baltimore Ravens where the team currently playing on that field. Almost all of this film is filmed in the city of Baltimore, Maryland, instead of Washington, D.C., So I also get that win by bringing the replacements. That one was very important to me on a personal level. I'm really glad that we got that. Oh, I forgot. Roy from The Office is a death tight end. Greatest football team ever. He's got to look at the ball. And and you know what? Crowd noise can't affect you at that point. um, Exactly. That's literally how he gets the game-winning touchdown. uh, There's a school for deaf individuals and they have one of like the greatest football teams yeah yeah i've seen I think Gallaudet, California. I think, g-a-l-l-u-d-e-t i think is what it is it is interesting to think about that because like obviously i'm, I'm sure some aspects of communication can be more difficult and i'm sure they are but you also have the benefit you know to the point that we just said crowd boys don't mean shit <laughs> ravenous crowds the only way the Astros would stand a chance is if they had guys like that when they come to Philadelphia, because they're going to hear some horrible things said about their mothers and their daughters and anybody related to their family or themselves. They probably will, but we don't need to hear any of those things. I would love to hear from Xavier, uh, any other movies that you're really glad that we got in this initial opening slate. Yes, but real quick, Diaz is right. It is the Gallaudet University Bison, the creators of the football huddle. Because they had to be able to sign to each other. That is pretty That's awesome. incredible. We're, we're doing something on them at some point. But right now, Xavier, we we're will. doing your next film. 
So as Diaz has pointed out, there are a lot of really great sports documentaries and biopics. I love me some documentaries and biopics. Tried to get Senna, but could not figure out who has the rights to a movie that is just clips of Ayrton Senna's life and death. So instead, I had to turn to maybe my second favorite biopic. And that is a movie that I, I own three copies of. It is Coach Carter. The Samuel L. Jackson movie. Three different copies of Coach Carter. There are two movies I own three different copies of. One is Coach Carter. The other is American History X. I love you so much, Sadie. I own three copies of Coach Carter. And now the RTG Plus service also owns or licenses a copy of Coach Carter from Paramount Pictures. I used a Coach Carter quote on, on my high school senior yearbook. And I properly credited the actual person who said it. And then they changed it to say Coach Carter in the yearbook itself. It was Marianne Williamson, right? It is Marianne Williamson, <laughs> yes. You know, the more time that goes by since the 2020 presidential election, I'm like, you know what? Fucking Marianne might have been the best we had to offer. I would still go Bernie 1 and Marianne 2. She had some points. Marianne you know, had a lot of points. She was right about our deepest fear. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, is that we are powerful beyond measure. And this movie is powerful beyond measure. It's got Channing Tatum as the one regular white guy on the team. Like, literally before any other movie. This was his first film ever. It has Octavia Spencer coming, like, seventh off the bench in this. Ashanti is in this, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she is. Ashanti gets an abortion in this, I think, which is great. Because I'm very glad that we're taking a a hard pro-choice step here with rtg plus we want to make it clear that that is what the political leanings of this streaming service are yes. shanti plays the girlfriend of the star player kenyan stone and part of his journey is trying to get a scholarship to be able to pay for having a child but ashanti makes her own health decisions like women should be allowed to and decides that she doesn't want to have a child at that time And that's a major plot point of the film. Another major plot point of the film is a player who quit the team, rejoins the team, quits the team again to sell drugs with his cousin. His cousin gets shot. He goes to Samuel Jackson's house crying and comes back on the team and becomes a main player. And all of this is real. It all happened with only slight fictionalization for movie purposes. Listen, you already know about my boy Timo Cruz, Xavier. Um, <laughs> I love Timo Cruz. Can I say the one thing that always threw me off? I knew that the ages didn't line up that it would be possible, but Coach Carter's kid looks exactly like fucking Cuba Gooding Jr. Does he not? <laughs> he does. He does kind of look like Cuba Gooding Jr. I could never get no, that. That's out of spot head. on. How old is Cuba Gooding Jr.? No, Cuba's fifty-four. Cuba's so he 50s, would have had to have yeah. him when he was fifteen. So yeah. It's possible, but not likely. Not super likely, but no. Now, Coach Carter is a classic. I remember when I flew to Puerto Rico for the first time when I was like 12 or 13, Coach Carter was the in-flight movie both ways and part of the light. I I just wish they would have played it in Spanish on one of the back and forths, but a a great get for RTG+, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, we might as well stay on the theme of basketball because I am going to depart from the documentary route. 
and we're going to go back into the fictional universe. Uh, one of my favorite Twitter subheaders uh, or Twitter bios, I guess, uh, is by the beat reporter for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, her name's Holly McKenzie. When I'm trying to go to sleep, I don't count sheep. I count Jesus Shuttlesworth jumpers. <laughs> and I think that is so well done because no jump shot is more pure than Jesus Shuttlesworth. No fictionalized basketball movie is better than He Got Game. I just, I can never get enough of that movie. First, I mean, when it starts, you, you, you know that Denzel is the dad and you know that the dad's in jail, but you don't know exactly why. And you, it slowly gets hinted at throughout the film. I think it's really well done by Spike Lee, how he kind of builds the tension until you finally get the great reveal of why Jake Shuttlesworth was in prison. I'm not going to try to spoil the movie here. But it all builds up to my favorite climactic scene in any movie ever. The one-on-one -on -one game between Jesus and Jake at the very end. When the game ends, you know, Jake is still trying to get some fatherly advice. The final line is one that none of us can say, but yeah, no, is, we cannot. It is probably my favorite line in all of cinema because essentially what he's trying to do in that moment is to break the cycle, right? There's been a cycle of abuse in this family, we can assume, that's gone down through all the generations, but now Jake is trying to be enlightened and to, to release that burden from his son. The other thing we got to say about it. Has there ever been an athlete that did not commit themselves to acting, but put in a better performance than Ray Allen did as Jesus Shuttlesworth in that film? I can't think of one. Ray Allen, I think, was amazing in that movie. The only other person that comes to mind now is... So I was thinking about how it is interesting. This is the only thing I can think of where someone got their nickname that followed them through their career, basically from something they did. And I was wondering if that's going to happen with Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, as Bo Cruz from Hustle. It might not have as much of an impact, but that's the one other performance that now immediately comes to mind. Right. And and, and Juancho, I thought, did really well in Hustle. Um, I've already seen... The nickname is sticking. Now, will Wancho ever be as good as Ray Allen? That's probably not going to be in the cards for Wancho. But, God, yeah, I just I just love that movie. I love the the sequence when um when it's the five starters for Abraham Lincoln uh, High School, and you got you got Sip Rogers, Sip 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 on this, you got Booger, uh, the little point guard. I mean, those are some quality guys too. Big Willie scene in there where he takes uh, Jesus. For the for the ride in his car, Big Willie is in the film for like three four minutes, and he's like the third biggest figure in the whole movie. It's incredible how he like just grabs your attention in there. God, I just I just love this movie, and I I just love the fact that all of our fans will be able to stream it on RTG Plus. And I want them to know that while the initial premise of the governor of a state is going to pardon this guy from whatever charges land him in federal prison in order to get his son to commit to the school that this governor went to, and the school is named Big State. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you, it's going to seem silly, because when you say it out loud like that, it is silly, but it's a phenomenal movie. Yeah. Well, also, I think it hits too close to home, right? Like, yes, Big State is an absurd name, but I would believe every other single part of that filled up, like, a million percent. Like... <laughs> There, there is no doubt some, like, if the governor of Pennsylvania is ever a Penn State alum, 
some shady shit's gonna happen and to get Penn State football back up on the map. Like we've seen this movie before. Speaking of movies we've seen before, this is one that I'm glad we'll get to now see again. You know, sequels get a bad rap sometimes. You think about Jaws the Revenge, City Slickers 2, Search for Curly's Gold. There's some bad sequels out there, but every once in a while you also get a Dark Knight. You get a Godfather Part 2, or you get one of the greatest sequels, I think, in cinematic history, Major League 2. Uh, that's right, we're going back to Cleveland. This is released five years after the original. It takes place the next season. Did you realize that? So one of the things I love about this movie is how they did not get Wesley Snipes again. Yeah, no, did. please please don't realize that Omar Epps is very much not Wesley Snipes. They're the exact same person. It is the predecessor to, that's not Terrence Howard, that's Don Cheadle. What are you talking about? I just love it because it's like, I, there, there is a throwaway line in there at some point been like, wow, Willie, you really look different since you went to Hollywood. <laughs> like they, they acknowledged it, which I'm fine with continuity errors as long as they are acknowledged. Don't try to hide them from us. Don't insult our intelligence as viewers as long as you acknowledge them. Speaking of continuity errors that I want to acknowledge, I said we're going back to Cleveland. As you pointed out in Major Leagues, we wouldn't actually be going back to Cleveland. We'd be going back to Milwaukee, except we're not even going back to Milwaukee. We're going back to Baltimore because this was filmed in Baltimore and at Camden Yards. It is so the stupid quintessential sports sequel because it spends half the movie getting everything back to where the first one started, which is what you have to do in any unnecessary sports sequel and is the inherent problem with them. Like, we got Serrano. He's not slugging anymore because now he's a Buddhist. Oh, wait, now he's going to slug again. We got Willie Mays. He's, he's not running anymore because he's going to Hollywood. Oh, wait, now he's the greatest base stealer in the world again. We got rid of Rachel Phelps. She sold the team to Roger Dorn, the first baseman who retired, except that he went broke, so he unretired and sold the team Back to Rachel Phelps. It's not a long movie, and they literally spend half of it just moving backwards. Another thing about Major League Two, it is a prescient film because this comes out seven years before Ichiro Suzuki comes to the States. It comes out the year before Hideo Nomo comes to the States. And yet, Isuro Kamikaze Tanaka is the spark plug that ignites this team, the Japanese player that comes over in a salary dump trade and just really galvanizes everything. This is NPB signings literally were not a thing prior to this film. It's it's a very forward looking film in a lot of ways. The one thing I remember about Tanaka, he's essentially very upset with Serrano that he's not slugging anymore. He's got his dictionary out to try to find the translation. He's saying, you have no... You have no marbles. And then they were like, <laughs> marbles? What does that mean? And then he gestures in a way that makes it very clear what he means by marbles. Um, and that ends up becoming a rallying cry for the team. You know, when Serrano comes up there, they have their marbles in their bag and they're shaking them at him. I remember that. I mean, yeah, we, we have some great uh, sports stereotypes that are in this movie too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, like, and I'm going to keep it with like the most innocent of them, which is the rookie call up who is like too excited to realize how jaded everybody is and he ends mm -hmm. up being kind of the as much as much as Tanaka was the rallying agent I guess for the team the catcher whose name I can't recall now was, was great with that too another thing that's important to point out about this movie and I think it, why it falls flat with a lot of people but not with our audience but a reason why it falls flat is 
the original was a rated R film, and this is rated PG. Like it's not <laughs> like they didn't pay somebody off to get that PG rating. Like it is very much a PG. Like marbles is the most vulgar thing we get the whole movie. I can't believe they didn't even like shoot the middle and go for PG thirteen. Like they took two whole steps in the sequel, which. I just, I guess I respect because, you know, you're trying to market it to a, to a broader audience. Audiences at the time, admittedly, I don't think they were ready for it. It's got a 5% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It is, it is not a well-liked film. Did do well enough at the box office. Here's a fun fact. It was number one its first weekend and bumped out a sequel to a sports franchise by Charlie Sheen's brother, Emilio Estevez, D2 The Mighty Ducks. So Charlie Sheen's stupid, unnecessary sequel comes in and pushes that out. But again, I think it was before its time because I mentioned the NPB signings. You've also got Charlie Sheen taking steroids in both of these films long before the 1998 home run chase. Uh, You've got the cheap owners putting ads in the outfield. People lose their mind for a significant portion of this stadium because there are ads on the outfield wall. This is not an old movie. Really, I just think it's phenomenal check out the incredibly stupid bullpen management ending that still feels like a manager might be stupid enough to do that now and uh, you can do that now on rtg plus because we got major league two he wanted parkman just saying but uh yeah we i mean we still have we have a couple more films uh with this initial release and xavier i think you have one more i actually have a little bit of um a little bit of a curveball for you both forget about the curveball ricky Give him the heater. So I realized while we were making all these deals that the RTG uh, Plus service was very male-centric when it came to the movies that we were licensing. And, you know, after speaking to my lovely wife, Caitlin, I decided to make a move to try to license something else out. Caitlin, do you want to tell them what movie we have gotten on our service? So we're very proud to present Bring It On. I have all four, all the first four, which by the way, the franchise has gone on since these four movies and uh, expanded into its own like mini franchise off of it. But the first one actually is just a classic and has it aged perfectly? Absolutely not. But it is actually quality still. Like it holds up pretty solidly. I'm going to go ahead and say the storyline of white people literally stealing dances from black people for performance has aged perfectly. That that happens constantly. This is an incredibly uh, timely film. I think it's actually, if anyone's like, what do you mean? Cultural appropriation. Like that, this movie actually does pretty much represent that perfectly. It also has great spirit fingers. (laughs) All I I can remember is... um... So from not another teen movie, they spoofed Bring It On at one point. Do you do you remember the scene where they spoofed it? Did I what? Did you watch not another teen movie? I don't think I did. I I do. It's pretty absurd. So well done. I mean, so basically, the the final game of the season is between you know the inner city school and the prep school, and the inner city cheerleaders go up to the prep school cheerleader captain and be like, you know, word on the street is you stole our routine. Be like. As if we would ever steal your routine. Like, we have our own routine. We don't need anything like it. And then basically, their, their chant is, uh, we, we are the are North Compton Wildcats. We're the Wildcats. North Compton Wildcats. We're black. We know it. We shake our big booties and show it. We ain't white. We ain't white. We definitely ain't white. <laughs> uh, now that you said that, that's ringing a bell. <laughs> <laughs> 
we have added on the entire Bring It On franchise to the RCG Plus service. A, a bit of levity and a bit of diversity of character and also good information about the horrors of cultural appropriation and getting what you deserve if you steal from another person's culture. And sure. young Kirsten Dunst. And I think there's eight plus. I think there's like more than eight movies in the Bring It On franchise at this point. A tremendous get. A great value, Xavier. Kudos to you on making the, the money move here. You know, Caitlin deserves all the credit. I would not have thought of it without her, so. I'm happy to be a focus group. <laughs> Thank you so much, Caitlin, for contributing to the RTGCU. <laughs> no problem. So, yes, we now have the Bring It On franchise, but at the same time, I also was making a very stern phone call to uh, David Zaslav of Warner Media, now owning HBO Max, yelling at him about the cancellation slash removal of Caitlin's favorite HBO Max TV show, Summer Camp Island. In one of his cost-cutting measures, he did offer me a very good deal that I could not refuse. And that was a two-for-one package of HBO Max comedies, Talladega Nights, The Battle of Ricky Bobby, and Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story. Really just throwing out every single asset that they have. Apparently he told me he's got to cut another billion dollars in revenue. Don't know where he's going to get that from. Apparently the answer is killing CNN and all animation. But part of it, I guess, they don't have to pay Vince Vaughn royalties anymore or Will Ferrell royalties. Two classics of the sports comedy genre. I mean, I could sit here and quote both at you both all night. Don't you don't chew Big do Red, then fuck you. Yeah, we, could, my hands. we could probably do it for the exact duration of the films. Oh, almost certainly. When, when Diaz was talking about the things he would sell for Philly's tickets, it made me think of the dodgeball scene where they talked about how they would come up with the money. We could sell blood and semen. No, not mixed together. <laughs> Very important clarification. I mean, how do, how do you beat... It's got to be the hair. It's feathery and lethal. Well, I mean, I mean, prescient by you, James, I think that was kind of a nod to our audience with the, with the intro on the the last episode that we did i think so you were cotton mcknight and you, you yes I, yes 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 our our dodge, I, I i planted the seed in xavier's mind that's really what it was well a, a tremendous acquisition and the, the the film that i i last am most happy that we were able to get there's also some mind games going on there especially at the end especially at the climax talking about to me for my money the greatest baseball movie ever made a League of Their Own. We are thrilled to get A League of Their Own. And this is one where, plug your ears if you haven't watched A League of Their Own, but I do want to present a question to the panel as to that final ending scene. And I think you both already know what the question is. Did Dottie drop it on purpose? No. I'm, Firm I, no. I will always say no. Firm no. Xavier, no. what do you think? I don't know. I don't think I've ever thought about it too, like th that hard. I'll, I'll, I'll take your both word, both of yours uh, words for it. Well, no, so hold up. So, I mean, I'm going to, I will present the opposite view at least. Cause I've, I've been on both sides of this. I've watched this movie countless times and just about every time that I watch it, I come to a different conclusion. So the argument for why she did not drop it on purpose is that just the previous inning in the top half, she got the two go ahead RBI off of kit 
to put them in the lead. And if she wanted Kit to have one, she would have just let Kit get her out right then and there. My counter is that Adi looks into the dugout and sees Kit sobbing, basically, between innings. Then I can counter that, and I can say, when she has the mound conference right before Kit takes the final at-bat, she gives the advice that she knows is right. High fastballs. Can't hit them. Can't lay off them. But those 15 to 20 seconds as Kit is rounding the bases is for Dottie to think about. My husband just came back from war. No matter what happens in this game, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be married to Bob. And frankly, this doesn't mean that much to me. This is my kid sister's entire world. And if I get one over on her yet again, it might just break her. And in that moment, I can see why she decides to drop it out of her glove. And again, I personally, I am now, James, I think I'm back on where you are. I do not think she dropped it on purpose. That is a mark of great film. There are two equally valid interpretations. Here are all the counterpoints. She is not undermining Kit because she would be undermining Kit if she was trying to think that she was not strong enough to handle this. And no, she's grown past that. She now sees the strength within her sister and would not short shrift her and give her a cheap championship. She doesn't want her to have that lingering over her, the thought that she didn't actually earn against her. That would kill her more than actually losing it to her in any capacity. Also, She's just competitive as fuck. And to the surprise Bill Pullman moment, I do love the surprise Bill Pullman moment in this film. Another person that I have a personal connection to because at one point he did a show at the theater that my mom ran. We have a picture eating crabs with him. It's a fun time. And uh, when Bill Pullman comes out of nowhere, tell me that there's not a part of Dottie that's sad that she now knows this is her last season of baseball. It, it is irrefutable, I believe, that she did not mean to drop that ball intentionally. Listen, all great points. And again, I... Currently, as we record this podcast, I am on your side. I don't think Dottie dropped it on purpose. You ask me again in a year, I might come back around to the fact that I think she did drop it on purpose. But getting beyond just that, such a great film, rich with just such amazing guys. We got All the Way May. We got Doris. We got Marla Hooch. What a hitter. Betty Spaghetti. Laura Sue. So many elite guys. Little baby Stillwell. Baby Stillwell. With his fucking chocolate bars. And, I mean, we are remiss if we don't recall the alcoholic Tom Hanks. You mean Dugan? Uh, Jimmy Dugan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, well, there was a very clear, it was supposed to be Wrigley, but it wasn't Wrigley. The founder of the league, you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly who you're talking about. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. But the, right. the illustrious owner of the AAGPBL. It might have been Hershey, even. I think it might have been Hershey. You also got uh, Ira, the, the, the middleman that's trying to keep the league together by, like, the, shoestrings. Their chaperone. Oh, yeah, yeah, the chaperone that uh, they poisoned so that they could go dancing at the bar where Marla meets her husband. I mean, what a... It had to be you. I mean, <laughs> every scene in that movie is so quotable. It's like... It's by far the best baseball movie ever. Also, just in case Jeffrey Bezos is listening, Jeff, we understand. We, we got the rights to the 92 film. We do not have the rights to your show. We were not going to put the show on anyway. We do not have the lesbian show with baseball. We have the baseball movie with maybe some lesbians. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's there, intimated. There's something going on with Doris. There's some roommates. And May. 
there's something going on with Doris and May. They're a little too familiar. It's not strictly platonic. But anyway, yeah, we're, 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 we're thrilled to get that. And then, James, I think for the grand finale, you know, why don't you reveal the, the, the greatest get of all, really, if we're being honest. It is because, look, we've talked about value. And I had to look at the density that I could fit in of actual guys. I looked to cameos. And we mentioned Hustle earlier. I think Hustle maybe needs to sit out and age just a little bit longer. I think we need to go back a little bit further to some some dense ones. I did consider for a moment any given Sunday. I really was was going to push for that at first, just for the motivational speech of it all. It does have 17 former pro players. I do have to specify pro because there is one who only played in the CFL. However, that is over 157 minutes. No one's got that kind of time nowadays. We need dense. So I went to another film that has another 17, but in only 95 minutes, which means we have including the other cameos of personalities related to the NBA, not just the NBA players in it, 23 total cameos, one every four minutes and eight seconds in the film Like Mike. The Lil Bow Wow vehicle, Like Mike, it's first off just a blatant ripoff of Rookie of the Year. It has no problem just 100% admitting the entire time, yeah, we're just doing Rookie of the Year, but with basketball. Speaking of basketball, real quick. Is it the greatest musical theme in the history of sports films? Basketball, Lil Bow Wow single? I would argue as much. I can't think of a better piece of music that's ever existed in any sports film ever. When when Lil Bow Wow said, I like the way they dribble up and down the court. That spoke to me. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court. Bars. It's so good. Um, <laughs> some of those cameos, because it is a beautiful snapshot in time. We've got the stars. We've got Vince Carter, Allen Iverson, Jason Kidd, Alonzo Mourning, Tracy McGrady, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, David Robinson, Rasheed Wallace. Already star-studded. And then you go to some of the guys in this. Like Michael Finley. Steve Francis, Gary Payton, Jason Richardson, Gerald Wallace, and Chris Webber, who I think straddles Lyle. I'd say Chris Webber is probably better than Michael Finley. I'm sure, but he is he better than any of the guys that I listed before that tier? Possibly. <laughs> I can make an argument for Gary Payton over Jason Kidd. I can certainly make that argument, but I won't write it. I'm happy to hear Jason Kidd sucks. Try sobering up before you drive next time, Jason. Beyond that, it's also got just a phenomenal collection of that guys in the like actors cast. You got Jonathan Lipnicki from Jerry Maguire and Stuart Little. You have fucking Disney's Brenda Song in maybe her second best like cameo appearance ever. If we're also including the Social Network, when all of us were either scarred or had awakenings due to the Brenda Song blowjob scene from the Social Network. I remember that. Oh, Xavier, then you have not watched The Social Network recently. <laughs> I have that movie, too. That, like, I just remember vividly thinking, yo, is Brenda Song about to, yep, Brenda Song's going to suck Andrew Garfield's dick. <laughs> but, I don't remember that. James, you haven't mentioned the greatest fucking guy cameo of them all. The bully in that movie. It's, it's Jesse Plemons! Fucking Todd, biggest piece of shit in the history Wait, of the Breaking Bad universe. Not only that, do you remember who the coach is? Oh, 
I don't remember the coach. It's the late Robert Forster, the disappearer from Breaking Bad. No shit. It absolutely is. LA Knight's coach is Robert Forster? Yeah, and on the coaching staff of his is also Reginald Val Johnson. A star star, I guess. Crispin Glover is the creepy orphanage owner. Since being George McFly in Back to the Future, the greatest we need a creepy guy maybe of all time. But I'm it's it, up Robert Forster and like Mike. I need to actually. Oh, because he has hair. That's why I don't recognize him. <laughs> incredible. It's it, it holds a special place in my heart. It's an incredibly important film, and we really wanted cinema to be represented here. And I think if you are interested in these offerings, or if you're interested in seeing anything else that RTG Plus, this new breaking streaming service that has already at least lasted longer than Quibi. We are on the up and up, get on the ground floor, see what else we got coming. Anything else that you guys would like to add? Next step is to get the TV series. I'm, I'm, I'm in talks with the Banana Land guy. We got to get that. We got to get live sports. You know, I don't know if you've heard, but Hulu has live sports. Listen, with, with my sports broadcast production background, maybe I can pull some strings there. Maybe we can, can maybe get a UMES, maybe get a UMBC, something like that maybe. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I'm also excited to hopefully get the original Major League uh, because, again, well, if you folks heard, the Phillies are in the World Series. And Major League, the original, I think, has such a great musical score. I've been watching that movie a lot today uh, to get me juiced up. And, uh, you know, we're about 10 minutes from first pitch as we're wrapping up here. But great, great, to, great to finally launch RTG Plus with you all. So excited to have you all here. Do please get a subscription. You can do that by following our Twitter at RememberGuysPod. I'm trying to get better at plugging. I don't know. <laughs> that was a good plug. That was a good plug. <laughs> DM us with guys that you would like to discuss. Sure. We will be back next week with some more alternative programming before we hurdle towards the next season of Remember That Guy. But we thank you so much for joining us here for this prestigious moment. Uh, it's been an absolute honor having you. I've been your host, James. Remember that the Arizona Coyotes are about to play in a 5,000-seat stadium that was built for a college hockey team tonight in one of the weirdest and most farcical things to ever happen in pro hockey. But I'm your very special guest, Xavier. I'm Diaz, and as Harry Callis once said, got some high hopes for some guys. guys, guys, guys. <laughs>